Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. I don't care about a prosecution. I don't care about any of that. I just want my daughter back. Mm-hmm. I just want Laurel home. That was the voice of Loretta Rogers, mother of Laurel Rogers. The 28-year-old Laurel went missing eight years ago from her Port Orange home, and there is still no trace of her. Details of that unsolved mystery are coming up on Sun Crime State. I'm Tony Holt, crime reporter for the Daytona Beach News Journal. Welcome to Sun Crime State, a weekly podcast that takes an in-depth look at Florida's biggest crime stories of the past and present. In this episode, I'll discuss the wacky story of an accused con man from Miami, a former postal carrier accused of duping co-workers and customers on his route and to paying him more than $4 million in exchange for riches. Authorities said it was all a scam, and the suspect, who was free on bail, is now facing new allegations that have forced his trial to be postponed. Later, I'll discuss the heartbreaking disappearance of Laurel Rogers, a 28-year-old Port Orange woman who disappeared from her home eight years ago this month. You'll hear from Laurel's mother, Loretta, and her older sister, Leah, who both organized a candlelight vigil for Laurel that was held Thursday. You'll also hear from Port Orange Police Captain Kim Kilpatrick. Coming up, the story of an accused sex criminal who police say sneaked into two houses in Broward County and molested a 13-year-old girl in December and sexually battered a 50-year-old woman in January. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Last month, Hollywood police arrested 35-year-old Andrew Brian McGriff on charges of sexual battery, burglary, false imprisonment, molestation, and petty theft. He is accused of invading two homes within an eight-block radius in December and January, respectively, and committing two separate sex crimes, a molestation of a 13-year-old girl and a sexual assault of a 50-year-old woman. The South Florida Sun-Sentinel reported on Friday there was a delay in getting the DNA tested for the December incident, and that meant McGriff was free to commit the second offense more than five weeks later. McGriff, according to the Sun-Sentinel, is a felon with more than 40 arrests on his record. 
While it isn't unusual for DNA testing to take weeks or months to complete, the process can be accelerated for priority cases. Considering McGriff is accused of burglarizing a home to commit child molestation, it is reasonable to suggest that investigation should have been put on the fast track. The Sun-Sentinel interviewed one forensic DNA analyst at Palm Beach Atlantic University, who said the DNA testing from the December incident absolutely should have been expedited. The Hollywood Police Department investigated both crimes. The Broward County Sheriff's Office handled the DNA testing. According to the Sun-Sentinel, Hollywood police would not confirm or deny whether detectives urged the sheriff's office to expedite the process. It was also reported that the sheriff's office would not say whether a rush was put on the DNA testing. The lab's DNA unit has a backlog of more than 4,700 cases waiting to be processed. Roughly 86% of those cases are thefts and burglaries. To give you a better understanding, here is the timeline. The teen was attacked December 4th. On December 5th, DNA samples were collected from a windowsill and frame and sent to the lab. On January 11th, 37 days after that DNA was collected, the 50-year-old woman was sexually battered. On January 12th, DNA from a broken window pane was collected and sent to the lab. McGriff was arrested on January 26th. The Sun-Sentinel also is reporting that police are combing through past cases to see whether they can connect McGriff to other crimes. Coming up, the story about a former postal carrier out of Miami who allegedly conned several people into paying him more than $4 million. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Miami Herald is reporting that a former Miami postal carrier, who has long been suspected of suckering people into paying him millions in exchange for riches from gold and diamond mines in Africa, is now accused of an additional scam, one that involves the most sought-after comic book of all time. 59-year-old lawyer Stanley, according to prosecutors, stole thousands of dollars from an elderly Vietnam veteran who was promised a copy of Action Comics No. 1, which included the debut of Superman. It's considered the most valuable comic in history. One issue sold years ago for $3.2 million. As a result of this latest development, Stanley's trial, which was scheduled to start this week, has been postponed to March, and even that date could be moved, according to the Herald story. The defendant remains free on bail, 
but prosecutors were hoping to put him back in jail after the latest development surfaced, but the judge in the case has allowed him to remain free. Stanley was a mail carrier for decades in South Florida. He also ran companies on the side, but authorities have said those companies were fraudulent. Stanley is accused of duping more than 30 investors across seven years. He allegedly portrayed himself as a mover and shaker in African industries. The Herald story states that Stanley took that stolen money, which totaled more than $4 million, and spent it on his own mortgage payments, as well as car rentals, groceries, entertainment, and airline tickets. One of Stanley's victims, according to investigators, emptied out his retirement and savings account to the tune of $250,000. As for the comic book, authorities said Stanley promised a copy of the issue to the victim for $24,000. That victim paid Stanley $12,000 last fall, while Stanley was awaiting trial for his original charges. Coming up... The story of the disappearance of Laurel Rogers, a case that investigators say might involve one or more of her closest friends. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's an open wound. Yeah. It's um, like the first day that she went missing, you know, when I realized she was gone. And... It's just unless you're, you've been through this, the emotion's so deep. There's no real words that can explain the the feelings you have. It's um, it's just a deep emotional feeling, and it's the same. It's actually the same thing every day. I open my eyes. On February first, twenty ten, around six or seven p.m., Laurel Rogers grabbed her purse, walked out the door and ran into the rainy night, never to be heard from or seen again. Her mother, Loretta, told me she was being picked up by a friend, but nobody knows who that friend was, least of all law enforcement, and nobody knows where Laurel was headed. The first time the Daytona Beach News Journal wrote about Laurel's disappearance was on February 6th, A brief on the front page of the local section was headlined, Woman Missing, Could Be in Danger. The story stated she was last seen wearing a black shirt, blue jeans, and sneakers. She stood 5 feet 7 inches tall and was 150 pounds with long, sandy blonde hair and blue eyes. She had no scars or tattoos. At age 16... Laurel had been diagnosed with lupus, a chronic autoimmune disease that causes a host of symptoms, including fatigue and joint pain. The disease had attacked Laurel's kidneys. When she left the house, Laurel left her medication behind. 
The News Journal story also stated that Laurel had substantial bruising on her arms and legs, which also was a symptom of her disease. At the time, Laurel lived with her family on Horizon View Boulevard in Port Orange. Here is Loretta describing that day eight years ago when she last saw her daughter. I was sitting on the couch. Laurel was going out to eat with a friend. Yeah, and it has a dog. And she opened the door and said, bye, I love you. I said, I love you too. And it was beginning to rain, so she just ran out to the car and um, never to see her again. And uh, I know she was planning on coming home, her medications. She had just picked up her lupus medications. They were still on her bed. So I know she was coming home. That was her intentions. But who picked her up? I don't know. And we still don't know. Nobody's came forward. Loretta's suspicions that something was wrong started when her phone started ringing. Various people were calling her, asking her where Laurel was. People were calling my phone looking for her, and so therefore I was calling her phone. And I know she would answer my phone calls, so I got concerned. So I started driving around, going to people's houses that she knew. Nobody knew where she was, and I just got a terrible feeling that something was wrong because she wasn't answering. And um, I went straight to the police department and did a report. You drove straight there? Mm-hmm. Because there, I, I just know my daughter. She would answer that phone. The Port Orange Police Department is handling the investigation. Different lead detectives have been assigned to it, but during the past couple years, the case has belonged to Captain Kim Kilpatrick. From evidence and uh, witness statements, the information that we have right now is that Laurel was at home around 7 p.m. the night before that night, and she had dinner, she was eating dinner, um, but she had left the house without notifying anybody. It doesn't appear she had prearranged a pickup, so we can't determine that right now. Going through the cell phone records, it doesn't appear that way. But uh, we know she did leave the house, she did leave with her purse, and basically uh, no one had heard from her since that point. Kilpatrick heads the Detective Bureau and Special Investigations at the Port Orange Police Department. Her detectives investigate cases, and she oversees them. But the Rogers case is hers. She was a patrol officer when Laurel went missing, and she eagerly took on the case when it was offered to her. It's the only case she's working, and it's one her entire agency has prioritized. It just stays on everybody's mind still, you know, because it's still out there as far as, you know, Miss Rogers rides around with her vehicle that has the, you know, missing person information for Laurel on it. Um, Every year she's involved with, you know, talking to us when she's doing her vigil and things like that. So I I just got to say it stays pretty fresh with us here. Loretta's most recent vigil was held on the eight-year anniversary of Laurel's disappearance. It was held on the driveway and front yard of Loretta's oldest daughter's home on Horizon View, which is just down the street from Loretta's old home. 
A portion of the house was covered in purple. That was Laurel's favorite color. Signs with Laurel's photo decorated the yard. The vigil was attended by more than a dozen people, mostly friends of the family. Each year, vigil attendance seems to decline. But Loretta has promised to keep holding the vigils year after year until her daughter is found. The media also attend the vigils. I was there Thursday along with reporters from two local TV news stations. It gets the word out, her face and everything, so people know that she's still missing and that we're still looking for her. And um, maybe whoever knows something will come forward this year and just tell where Laurel's at, give, it, give Laurel back to us. Also among the attendees Thursday was Laurel's older sister, Leah Pennington, a married mother of five who was six years older than her sister. In spite of the age gap, the two were always close. I was like the cool older sister, but I was—I I might have been a bad influence at times, but you know her and her friends, I, we always hung out together. Her, her friend posted on Facebook last night, she can remember us going on a road trip. They were 16, so how I was, how, you know, back to Illinois and theme parks, you know. Even though there was an age gap, we still were very close. One subplot to Thursday's vigil may have been who wasn't in attendance, the vast majority of Laurel's closest friends. A rift formed between the Rogers family and Laurel's circle of friends almost immediately after she went missing. Kilpatrick does not hide the fact that the investigation has centered on people who were close to Laurel. This one obviously has kept our attention just because we know a lot of her associates and we get a lot of leads and tips that her closest friends may have information as to her location. A pair of dive teams in 2011 searched the bottom of three Port Orange ponds looking for Laurel's remains, but nothing was found. In a news journal article written three years ago and published on the fifth anniversary of Laurel's disappearance, a detective said 70 individuals had been interviewed and Port Orange police had partnered with as many as 15 other law enforcement agencies. Tips are still being called in. Based on the earliest news reports, Port Orange police seem to get more calls now than they did when Laurel first went missing. They still come in through Crime Stoppers. I can say that I have traveled actually out of the state of Florida to complete some interviews on this case. I've also traveled around Florida. And as a matter of fact, we had some more uh, information that was given to us last week that I'm looking into. Some of the latest tips may have even given the investigation renewed momentum. I have actually gotten three tips in the last two months on this case specifically. Uh, I started doing some interviews uh, about three weeks ago on another tip that I, uh, out of those three tips, and uh, I did reach out to a couple people uh, that were previously interviewed uh, when the case first originated. So I'm obviously I'm still reaching out to anybody that was originally involved and interviewed and I'm going to try to re-interview everybody again in case something should change. 
The neighborhood where Laurel lived is a typical family neighborhood. There aren't many patches of woods in the area, and virtually no bodies of water. It is close to two major thoroughfares through East Volusia County, Dunlawton Avenue and Clyde Morris Boulevard. Kilpatrick told me there is no evidence that Laurel was communicating with anyone on an online dating site before she disappeared. Cell phone records showed no signs she had called anyone to pick her up. Indications were that she was only going out for a little while when she left. Did not appear she had planned on being out that long um, from evidence in the house and everything. Uh, No clothing appeared to have been taken. So it's just a matter of trying to still determine who came to the house to pick her up. Loretta remains in close contact with police, and she calls regularly for updates about the case. Kilpatrick answers every call, and she has a lot of sympathy for Loretta. I know when I talk to her every week, uh, it's very hard for her to maintain her composure, breaking down, crying. Uh, just I think any mom, you know, in the situation would be. So it, it breaks my heart talking to her because I know, you know, I wish I had answers for her. During Thursday's vigil, Loretta pulled out a card. It was the same card passed around to those who had attended. It was the size of a postcard. It was purple in color. And in white print, there was a short letter Loretta had written to her daughter. She read it aloud. We love and miss you, Laurel. It's been eight long years. There's not a day goes by that we don't think of you. I want you home with us. Life is not the same without you here with us. We are heartbroken. We'll never stop looking for you. Love you yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. Your family is a circle of love and strength. Anyone with information on the possible whereabouts of Laurel Rogers is urged to call Crime Stoppers at 1-888-277-TIPS. That number again is 1-888-277-TIPS. Thank you for listening. Tune in next week when I discuss the bizarre case of Dennis Devlin who owned and operated one of the seediest hotels in Daytona Beach and was hounded for 20 years on suspicion of sexual misbehavior with underage boys. He was finally convicted and sentenced to 15 years in prison in 2011. Today, the former Desert Inn, which was once one of the city's worst eyesores, is the construction site of an upcoming Hard Rock Hotel which is intended to spark a revitalization for the city's beachside. Join us then for that unique story. You can find Tony on Twitter at TonyCrimeWriter or email him at Tony.Holt at News-JRNL.com. Be sure to rate us on iTunes. Sun Crime State is recorded by Tony Holt and produced by Chris Bridges for the Daytona Beach News Journal. Thank you.
just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.